Welcome to 25 Stocks of Christmas presented by Chit Chat Money. Today we have an interview with Max Chatsko, uh, our friend from 7investing, and we talked Fate Therapeutics, which is a company we knew nothing about. But yeah, switching I was, up, doing a little biotech. Yeah, I was pretty interested, um, and I was basically just a listener during this. I mean, we asked questions, but... Yeah, so you might think, oh, biotech, I don't want to listen. Well, if you ever want to get into biotech... You may want to listen to this. You might only absorb 40% of the information Max says, but that puts you on the right track if that's some part of the market you ever want to get interested in. He doesn't say it in like, okay, this isn't like something an elementary school kid can understand, but if you have any sort of technical background, you'll be able to, you know, get a, you know half of what we talk about here. Um, so I think, I think it's worthwhile for sure. He also does a good job explaining how biotech business models work because yeah. sometimes you know you don't you might not have to understand the actual technology behind it but it's good to understand how the business models operate uh, but before we get to our interview we have a word from our partners it's your turn yeah and it is something that max works at seven investing yeah. uh and you can get one of his stock picks every month recommendations uh where you can get using our code ccm you get ten dollars off your first month uh, no lock-in, so you just try the first month for $7. That is $7 for seven stock picks, so it's $1. You can check it out. It's a great way to get introduced. You help out our show as well. It's basically the Netflix of investing. Yeah. I mean, you. I like that optimism uh, for sure, but to be honest, it's a great deal. You can try it out, uh, and we think it's a, it's a great service. So there you go. There you go. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are not financial advisors. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guest is not formal advice or a recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Today, we're welcomed by Max Chatsko, uh, lead advisor for Seven Investing. Max, how are you? I'm pretty good, man. How are you guys? We're both doing pretty well, yeah. Doing well, doing well. Yeah, uh, and we're talking today Fate Therapeutics, which uh, we'll just come right out and say it. Brett and I have little to no idea what they do, uh, so we are going to uh, be informed, if you will, by Max here. So. How'd you come across Fate Therapeutics? How'd you find this company? Yeah, well, you guys aren't alone, but uh, fear not. You know, I think a lot of people see companies like this and they kind of just put it in the too hard bucket and walk away. Uh, but you know, if you get into it, it's it's not too bad. So, uh, Fate Therapeutics is in my little corner of the market, right? In biopharmaceuticals, uh, it's developing cell therapies, but it's developing uh, next generation cell therapies, so drug candidates based on immune cells uh, that they engineer and they are used to attack cancer cells in your body. Um, and it's next generation because they overcome some of the pitfalls and limitations of first generation cell therapies that were developed. Um, so first generation cell therapies were based on something called CART-T. So that's just a T cell, um, a T cell is a part of your immune system. And, um, you know, it worked pretty well. I mean, they used it for different types of blood cancers. Um, so they would harvest it from a patient. They would like draw blood, right? Um, they would separate out your T cells in a lab. They would engineer them uh, to have certain uh, capabilities. Then they would grow them back up in the lab. 
then they'd bring them back to the hospital and uh, administer them to the patient again. So a patient was receiving their own T cells, but they were genetically engineered, um, you know, to fight their cancer, right? So it worked out pretty well, but there's some limitations there. Uh, for starters, the manufacturing is pretty tough. It's a nightmare. Uh, it takes like two or three weeks. There's a lot of process steps. Each of those steps adds costs, uh, it adds uh, sources for air, human air, for instance, so things can go wrong. Uh, and the FDA was pretty tough on some of these because it's tough to, when you're you know, harvesting uh, your therapy from each patient, it's hard to prove that you're doing the same thing each and every time, right? You don't have a homogenous product. It's not like you're making a big batch of Advil and then making pills and it's sitting on the shelf at CVS, right? Um, so a lot of process steps where things can go wrong. A lot of process steps means it's expensive. Uh, just the manufacturing costs per each treatment for some of these first-generation CAR-Ts were, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So um, pretty complex there. And then there's also some practicality issues, which were uh, CAR-T cells uh, have some limitations with dosing. So you can only actually dose them once, um, which, you know, isn't ideal. Sometimes you want to come back and uh, treat a patient multiple times to get the best effect. And they also had some safety issues. Uh, T-cells can cause something called cytokine release syndrome or CRS. Uh, we've gotten a lot better at managing it in the last several years, but, um, you know, can be fatal in, in some instances. So uh, it did lead to some patient deaths. So what Fate Therapeutics has done is learned from some of these mistakes and pitfalls. Uh, and it's, it's come up with different ways to tackle manufacturing. Uh, so it starts off with stem cells. A stem cell can differentiate. It can become multiple cell types. So what they do is they induce it to become a specific type of uh, immune cell, the one that they want. So they always start off, they have a much more reproducible and standardized process. Uh, then they can grow these up in big batches. So rather than harvesting it from one patient and then reinserting it back, uh, they can just grow up their cells that they're using uh, and then make it work broadly across uh, a larger number of patients. So that greatly reduces the manufacturing costs. For some of the companies, uh, drug candidates, it's actually led to a 100 times reduction, 100x reduction in the cost of the manufacturing. That's because it's simpler, it's bigger batches, uh, and it leads to something called off the shelf, right? So rather than go in, you know, if you have cancer, you have to get your cells harvested. It takes two or three weeks. Um, off the shelf means the treatment's already available for you. So there's not a two or three uh, week period where you're waiting uh, for your cells to come back. So that's a pretty big advantage as well. Uh, it's also working at different types of cells. So not just T cells, but also something called natural killer cells. Also something that every, all of us have as part of our immune system. Uh, but natural killer cells have some inherent advantages. They can be dosed multiple times, uh, where some T cells cannot. Uh, they also act a little bit differently within the body. So uh, they have different mechanisms of action when you're, you're fighting cancers. So uh, they can also be used in combination with T cells. So there's all these different shots on goal for fate therapeutics and the new approach that it's been taking. Um, so yeah, that's uh, the nutshell, I guess, of fate therapeutics. No, that's, a good, that's, a, that's a good overview. Um, so are they targeting specific types of cancers or is it just the broad, you know, stroke here? Because it sounds like that they're going at it at a more general way where they can then, you know, go, is it like just for skin cancer or is it lung cancer or, or is it everything? Right. So um, with 
the first generation T cells were often limited to uh, blood cancers, right? Right. So uh, lymphomas, uh, leukemias, you couldn't target solid tumor cancers. So there's the two broad types of cancers, right? So like a lung cancer would be solid tumor and then a blood cancer would be, uh, you know, a lymphoma or leukemia. Um, so faith therapeutics is targeting both. It's targeting both blood cancers and solid tumor cancers. Um, it's initial, uh, it's, it, it's most advanced clinical assets, I should say, uh, are targeting blood cancers. Um, and that's actually one of the more interesting things about it is it's, it's got 14 different uh, drug candidates in its pipeline. So, you know, it's, the valuation's gone a little nuts this year, like most of the stock market. But, um, you know, for a small company, for an early stage company, 14 different drug candidates is, uh, that's a very high number. That's pretty impressive. So it's, I think that's why it's kind of leaped to this giant valuation now, um, even though maybe investors are getting a little ahead of themselves. But, you know, it's a, it's a lot of shots on goal, 14 different drug candidates. Eight of those are in clinical trials. Um, some of those are still preclinical assets, so they still have a little bit more work before they can enter clinical trials. But, um, but yeah, so the company's uh, trying a lot of different things, blood cancers, solid tumor cancers, uh, combination therapies. So it's taking some of its drug candidates and, you know, um, using it with already approved products to see if it can enhance the, uh, how effective those are, um, or even combining some of its own drug candidates. Okay. And is it all coming from that same base of the stem cell, uh, whatever, uh, cultivation? I don't really know how to use the specific word instead of that. Is that where all of these are starting from? Most of the company's drug candidates are uh, off the shelf autologous. Um, but some are actually still, uh, harvested in patients. I think that's only limited to one of the company's partnerships right now and collaborations. Uh, but yeah, most of its, uh, drug candidates are actually, uh, you know, next generation off the shelf. And that should be, that's the big step up where if it doesn't take three weeks to get that, that's a huge advantage for someone that's trying to, you know, has cancer attacking their body. Correct. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the faster yeah. you can get treatment, the better. Um, and, uh, again, is a big risk here for a lot of these companies that are developing cell therapies or any a genetic medicine, for instance, is the manufacturing, uh, you know, so the first like gene therapies that were uh, submitted to the FDA for approval, you know, these applications were tens of thousands of pages long, but over half of the, the actual application wasn't data from the clinical trial. It was data from manufacturing processes. You know, the FDA is really, um, uh, going over these things with a fine tooth comb, so to speak. And uh, it wants to make sure that companies are really nailing the manufacturing aspect of this because that affects, uh, you know, it's, again, you're not manufacturing a simple chemical like Advil, right? Um, you're making something that's alive, a cell therapy. So these things change depending on how you store them. They change depending on, you know, maybe from batch to batch if you're not really uh, standardizing your process. So the FDA wants to make sure that the products are as homogenous as possible. So Faith Therapeutics, with its approach, uh, should have fewer of those regulatory risks. Not, uh, you know, it's not immune to those, obviously, but um, you know, it's addressing that uh, that huge risk that um, you know some of these first generation companies uh, still have to contend with. Okay, and then this might seem like a question that, if you know this field, it might seem like a dumb question. But what's the difference between this type of company and maybe someone like CRISPR? Um, are they two entirely different things or is it, is it some overlap? Because I know you said something about 
uh, gene therapy or gene editing? Uh, I may have misheard you, but what's the difference there? Yeah. So, um, you know, biologic drugs are based on, it's the cat, it's a broad category, right? Uh, these are complex, you know, drug candidates. So it's something like a monoclonal antibody. So protein, uh, then you have cell therapies or another type of biologic drug. So that's where the drug itself is a living cell. Uh, so that's like what phase therapeutics does. And then you have genetic medicine. So things that are, um, you know, editing and changing the genes within the patient. So those are not technically alive, um, you know, but those would be like CRISPR gene editing. There are other types of gene editing that aren't based on CRISPR. Uh, there's gene therapy, there's uh, RNA interference, different types of genetic medicines that are uh, trying to alter the, you know, root causes of disease in the patient. Um, so the difference between like faith therapeutics is, and CRISPR therapeutics, um, you know, um, faith therapeutics, as based on mostly just cell therapies, um, where CRISPR therapeutics is using gene editing uh, as its primary tool. It's a little complicated, right? So I think what most people have in their idea of like uh, uh, CRISPR is like we inject you and it changes your genes, right? Is that kind of the understanding maybe? Yeah. Um, but that's, we're not really there yet. So what CRISPR therapeutics does is actually apply its platform to cell therapy. So technically, it's also working on cell therapy, so it's using CRISPR to do that. Um, so like what CRISPR therapeutics does, it takes uh, cells out of a patient and uh, edits them with CRISPR and then puts them back into the patient. So it's, again, it's, it's kind of confusing, right? It's um, these first generation CRISPR companies are actually doing cell therapy right now, but the hope is one day we won't have to do that. We can just uh, engineer your cells directly in your body without harvesting them. Okay, so it's kind of the bridge to the eventual hope of where you can just edit things or inject something and it totally changes your DNA. Right, and it would be different yeah. types of cells too, right? So we might use CRISPR on like muscle tissue cells, right? We want to engineer uh, genes that are expressed in your muscles or in your liver, whereas for cell therapy, you're primarily focused on, uh, you know, the cell therapy is based on immune cells. So you're never going to use like muscle cells as your immune therapy or liver cells as your immune therapy, right? Okay. That okay. makes sense. Ryan, do you have anything else on Yeah, I have what might come across as a really dumb question, but how do they make money? Like who are their customers? Yeah, it's a great question. So as a development stage drug company, it doesn't have recurring revenue. Uh, so drug developers, when you're earlier stage, like faith therapeutics, they can generate revenue from collaborations and partnerships. So uh, for instance, it has a partnership with Johnson & Johnson, which is a pretty big deal. It's a multi-billion dollar collaboration. So for that deal, and this is typical of, of how these collaborations go, faith therapeutics received uh, an upfront payment. So right off the bat, boom, it got you know, a cash injection there from Johnson & Johnson. And then it has the ability to earn milestone payments uh, as these drug candidates that are part of the collaboration uh, advance through clinical trials. So maybe like completing uh, phase one clinical trial, we'll get a payout. Maybe uh, starting dosing in a phase two clinical trial, we'll earn a payout and, and so on. And the payouts increase as, you know, the difficulty and, and the, um, you know, uh, depth of the clinical trials increases. Uh, and then there's other milestone payments for, you know, earning approval. And then there's royalties on sales if anything actually does earn approval, but, but that's pretty far away. So yes, uh, no recurring revenue, 
uh, pretty dependent on these, uh, you know, partnerships that it has. And also, um, you know, it does have to dilute investors from time to time with stock offerings and uh, other financial arrangements because it's burning more cash than it's bringing in, obviously. Right, right. That's that's kind of the game you're playing over in the biotech space. Uh, but one important thing for biotech, especially, is management. Uh, do you want to talk about, you know, maybe the CEO, founders, and stuff? Um, the executive team, maybe. Uh, do you like the management team? Are, are they really important to the story here? Yeah, you know, uh, with Faith Therapeutics, I mean, again, they've taken all these pain points that were uh, common in first-generation cell therapies, and they've done they've gone through them and addressed them in pretty methodical ways. So. I've always been pretty impressed there. Uh, oftentimes as well, when the company speaks, uh, when they present their data, um, you know, they don't do it in a hypey way. They're not saying they're changing the world or anything. You know, they're, uh, they're pretty, um, pretty reasonable about how they present themselves. So um, that's always a big plus in my mind because I think I see this a lot now with uh, maybe they're taking advantage of the stock market, other companies, you know, um, they'll use, terms like, oh, the genomic revolution or, oh, synthetic yeah. biology. And I think investors can get into trouble there if they don't understand what they're getting into. And some companies play into that. But um, yeah, Faith Therapeutics is, uh, is not doing that. It's not hyping itself up. Okay. What about just your thesis broadly? Why, uh, I mean, to the layman, why is this a good investment? So, you know, um, again, it comes back to how they're tackling, you know, taking advantage of the promise of cell therapy um, you know, and, and they're addressing these pain points, right? So they have a better way to manufacture these drugs. Uh, they have a better way to engineer them. And then just the breadth of the pipeline, um, you know, with 14 different assets right now in the pipeline, you know, for an early stage company, that's impressive. It's not a one or two or three drug candidate pipeline, where if one of those fails, I mean, then you really have to rethink your whole investment thesis, right? Um, but for faith therapeutics, I mean, one, two, three, four failures might not necessarily be all that, um, you know, might not really change your thesis or anything. Um, you know, if, if half of the pipeline failed or maybe some of these assets failed for specific reasons, um, like safety or efficacy, um, you know, tied to like the manufacturing process, that might be more worrisome. But uh, it's a much better way to, you know, de-risk development when you have so many different uh, opportunities. Okay. That makes sense. Any, or yeah, some right. I was just going to say, what's it gonna, I mean, is there a point when you've said right now, a lot of the way they generate money is through partnerships and stuff like that. Is there a point when they have sort of more of a recurring revenue model? Can, is there any point when they know how much money they're going to bring in on a consistent basis? Yeah, so for um, de drug developers, right, the early days always suck, right? Because you're, you're bleeding money, you're pouring money into R&D, and you get nothing back because you don't have any approved drug products. So the first big inflection point is when you move out of development stage and you go to commercial stage. To get there, you need to have an approved product, and then you need to you know, ramp up your relationships with doctors and make sure it sells, and that can take a couple years as well. So faith therapeutics is still pretty far away from that, um, you know, on the order of years. Um, so that could be, you know, this isn't like a SaaS company or a cloud company where it has recurring revenue and it's growing and you can look five years in the future and, you know, kind of squint real hard and makes the justification for the evaluation. Here, you know, analysts are just kind of saying they're applying, you know, um, evaluation models to each asset and then combining all those together. So it's a, it's a lot different than uh, a normal company that has, you know, kind of more sustainable operations. But 
yeah, it's going to be a while and it, it matters. Um, you know, what, what matters is getting approved products, but, uh, right now it, it doesn't exist. Right. And then how do they protect the, I, I guess IP is not the word. Um, well, maybe it is intellectual property. Um, like, can someone just come in and copy them or do they have to go about it a different way? Is it kind of like with the patent protection type deal, you know, is that a concern at all for them? No, I don't think that's a concern. So, um, you know, a lot of companies are doing next generation cell therapy. Um, that's just the better way to do it. Right. It's kind of like saying a lot of tech companies are moving to the cloud. Yeah. Um, like they have to do it, right. You're not going to build out your own infrastructure. Um, so the advantage is they do have IP, right. They have uh, certain things tied to, uh, how they grow their cells, for instance, or just manufacturing processes. They also have relationships in place, um, whether they're licensing specific tools, they're actually working with uh, a specific gene editing company. So they use that platform to engineer their cell therapies. Uh, you know, so that's an important relationship it has covering some of its, its approach to, you know, these CAR-T or NK cells that it's working on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's got a pretty good IP portfolio. And, and there's also in biopharma and, and some of these, uh, you know, I, like li- I call it living technology. So this can cover, you know, healthcare or industrial biotech or agricultural biotech. Uh, but trade secrets actually come into play, too. A lot of times uh, what companies do can't be reverse engineered. So sometimes you don't actually want to patent these things because uh, nobody knows what you're doing anyway. Right. And a trade secret can't expire as long as you keep that under wraps. Um, so there's some uh, advantages there as well. Okay. Simple, in a simple form, it's like the Coca-Cola secret rep- recipe, but a little more complicated. Yeah. Just not with, you know, Coke, it's with uh, cells or, you know, some, uh, what temperature do you, uh, you know, expand your cells at or something nerdy like that. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. I think that's all the questions we have for the first half. We are going to uh, hit a quick break and then we'll try to poke some holes in Max's thesis here. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is Red color, red color, where are you? (sighs) All blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Welcome back in. Next, we have Devil's Advocate. Uh, So I'll just go right out and say it. We had Max send us counterpoints to tell him uh, because this is a company we don't know well enough to provide counterpoints to. Um, But I'll go first. And this one, I'm going to pull up some numbers here. So in the last quarter, they did, or in the last nine months, they have around 15 million in revenue and uh, $110 million in operating expenses. So if I'm looking at this as a normal investor, I would be worried or concerned, to say the least, especially with no expertise in biotech, not to mention the company is trading at a $5 billion valuation. They, with no, little to no revenue, how do you justify that? Yeah, exactly. So um, again, from what we talked about before, you know, valuing these companies is different when they're still in development stage. So looking at revenues kind of useless. There are some interesting metrics for, you know, looking at operating loss, making sure it's uh, at least managing cash burn uh, effectively. Um, So again, the company has 14 
different uh, assets in the pipeline. So that's a, an advantage because of the shots on goal, but it's also very expensive, right? You have a lot of different clinical trials to manage, a lot of different R&D. Um, so that can relate to a huge cash burn. For the company's valuation, I mean, this is something I've struggled with. You know, I, I tend to be a little more reasonable, I guess, with how I value companies. So um, I own shares of Faith Therapeutics uh, and I, was, I bought it relatively early on. So this has helped me this year. But like looking around at the company's valuation, it has very early data and it's valued at $5.3 billion. Um, I mean, I think that's a risk to investors if you want to get in now. Uh, I mean, I've been wrong so far this year with this company in terms of like, oh, this is overvalued. Um, so there's no, no reason it can't keep going up. But I just think, you know, if you buy in now and some of this doesn't work out, maybe, you know, like what's the upside from here for uh, the early stage data, right? It's going to take time. Uh, to really have this play out. So, so I wouldn't yeah. be too worried about the, the lack of revenue or the lack of recurring revenue. Cause that's just uh, you know, that, that comes with the territory for a drug developer, but certainly you want to keep an eye on uh, is it managing its cash burn? Uh, is it getting data to back up and, you know, at least justify uh, having such a huge pipeline of assets. Um, but yeah, I mean, at $5 billion, given the stage it's at in development, uh, I think there might be limited upside from here. Um, without maybe a, a little bit of a correction or some kind of uh, or or really good news that comes out of any of these um, you know programs in the next you know whatever twelve months. The uh, yeah, because I saw the stock price has has appreciated quite a bit. I think it's two or three x this year alone. So what what yeah, determines there's been a lot of optimism? What determines price movement? Because I mean, it's obviously not tied to fundamentals. I'd imagine since it's like pre revenue almost. So what's determining? Uh, the price appreciation is it like news on their drugs or no it's uh wall street looks at uh rainfall totals in topeka kansas and then they just kind of uh no <laughs> yeah that's a good question right so again it's uh they take each pipeline asset and they kind of uh they assign a value to it and then they assign a probability of success and uh it's some weird calculus that goes on there but um uh so here i think it's a little easy to like get carried away right because I think analysts can just be like, ah, oh, it's got 14 different assets. Yeah, it's gonna, it's worth $5 billion. Why not? Um, so I would maybe be a little more cautious with that. But um, yeah, a lot of it's kind of, um, it's not based on a whole lot of like tangible metrics, right? Which is the hard part. It's, it's frustrating, I think, to investors. And, um, you know, I cover this space. And a lot of the things on my watch list have definitely appreciated quite a bit uh, in 2020, right? A lot of biopharma companies are doing pretty well and it's tough for a drug uh, development stage company because they some of these haven't really had any new updates or news and they're you know doubling or tripling and so definitely i would encourage people to be a little more cautious and you know i think biopharm is right for a correction uh any you know at some point it seems a little frothy to me right okay i'll i'll hit my counterpoint uh this is they're targeting a very crowded space. Like you mentioned before, there's a lot of people going after this. Um, you know, the competition may limit their ability to generate profits. There might be a lot, you know, if there's a dozen different companies that have this type of thing, I know, you know, curing cancers is a large market opportunity, uh, <laughs> but you know, that might limit their upside. Yeah, exactly. So this is something that uh, I think people should think more about, right? We're valuing like say faith therapeutics based on, its pipeline or, oh, wow, look, it's targeting, you know, this, these three blood cancers. But if you zoom out, 
the market's valuing each individual company on targeting a very small number of indications. So a lot of cell therapy companies, a lot of gene therapy companies, a lot of gene editing companies are going after like the same six diseases. And there's like hundreds of these companies. So they can't all be successful. Uh, they can't all win. So I would encourage people to you know, think about, this is great that we have so much innovation. It's great that there are dozens or hundreds of these clinical trials and some of these uh, diseases and, and types of cancers. Um, but at the end of the day as well, you know, we're going to have to see some really great results for the, the market to be carved out. So we're in this funny position where, you know, this is amazing news for patients, but, um, you know, even if Faith Therapeutics has really good data, the bar might be so high from a competitor three that, uh, you know, great results aren't enough. Um, so definitely, unlike in previous years or previous uh, um, you know, companies and indications like right now in biopharma, some of these spaces are very crowded. So, um, you know, faith therapeutics might be the winner, but, or one of the winners, I should say, but, uh, it could also not be the winner and it might still have really good data. So let me ask something that's not on our notes page here. What does a best case scenario look like? If like a faith therapeutics, everything goes right. What does, where do they go from there? What does the business look like then? Yeah, so uh, actually this weekend, I don't know when we'll be publishing this, but uh, December 5th to December 8th is one of the biggest uh, events of the year for the space. It's called the American Society of Hematology, or ASH, the ASH conference. So Faith Therapeutics, again, it's working in uh, a lot of different blood cancers. Hematology is a study of blood. Maybe I should have started there. Right, uh, yeah. So um, Faith Therapeutics has, uh, I think it's 12 different presentations at ASH this year. So again, that's a lot of it's a lot of presentations for us, uh, early stage company. So this uh, conference, you know, based on the data and the updates that they provide from some of their clinical trials, um, the stock could go higher, it could go lower if it's disappointing, um, or if a competitor has, has even better data. Uh, so I think within a couple of weeks, we might see some of these companies in this space uh, be pretty volatile um, one way or the other. So what a best case scenario for, for fate would be though, is that, you know, as the pipeline matures and some of these assets are further along in development, we just see better data. Uh, it moves into, you know, phase two, phase three trials uh, and continues to reproduce results from smaller trials and a smaller number of patients. Uh, and then it, you know, can get some drugs approved uh, in any one of these indications. So again, it has a lot of shots on goal. The uh, it's kind of de-risks the pipeline uh, and, and the development for investors, right? Um, a lot of early stage companies might have two drugs or three drugs in development or one. Yikes! Don't go there. Um, okay. If that fails, then you're kind of screwed, right? So um, again, a couple of these can fail and it might not matter. Uh, but yeah, we want this company to get drugs onto the market and then to uh, you know have quick success with growing the sales of these drugs because then it can get recurring revenue and at the very least it can offset some of its operating expenses. Um, even if it's not profitable, it would at least, you know, have a, you know, revenue is non-dilutive capital raising. Right. So um, every little bit helps. Okay. Then on the flip side, how, what would have to happen for you to be like, I am not going to go anywhere near fate therapeutics. So what, what would have to happen for you to want to sell the stock? Yeah. So, uh, I bought in, you know, last year, so I've been doing okay. So I might hang on to my shares, even if, uh, it starts to tumble a little bit or whatnot. 
um, you know, for investors that are looking at this and maybe it's on their watch list, again, that valuation to me looks a little too, uh, too good to be true. Maybe too much good news is priced in. Um, so the risk is it can come down in price or even it just goes nowhere, right? It goes sideways for a little bit because uh, investors want to wait for that to kind of earn that valuation that's been given. Um, but yeah, if, if a couple of these uh, clinical trials don't work out that well, or you know, maybe there's some safety profile that we haven't seen in earlier studies that shows up in some of these you know, mid-stage studies, that could be a concern because I would say that maybe there's their thesis of, you know, hey, the way we manufacture these is different and it will uh, reduce these risks. Or, hey, we can use natural killer cells multiple times and it's not going to trigger any of these safety effects. Uh, maybe it does, right? We don't know. Um, natural killer cells are still relatively new. A lot of companies have failed at trying to develop natural killer cells in the past. And, uh, you know, NK cells are a big part of free therapeutics pipeline. So uh, there's some risk of uncertainty there. Okay, okay. that makes sense. Uh, would you ever, or, go ahead. I was going to say, would you ever consider like uh i don't know it just seems like something that could drop 50 percent on like a news story would you ever consider some sort of hedge um you mean like could this i'm, yeah. I'm sorry i don't understand the question like sort of to supplement like you owning shares like to uh i don't know I, obviously this gets into the weeds of uh how how you invest and maybe you're just buying stocks but like maybe buying a put option am i thinking about this right it just feels like it could be really volatile around news oh i see yeah yeah so um i don't personally use options or anything like that okay um and you know for most people this shouldn't be a big part of your portfolio either um so but yeah i mean i think you just have to expect volatility and again especially now and this isn't just for fate i think for a lot of these uh biopharma companies a lot of them doubled, tripled, or more this year and maybe don't really deserve that. So, uh, and look, it could go up for another four years. Who knows, right? The market is uh, doing different things. Um, but yeah, I think you just have to expect volatility. Uh, as far yeah. as the hedge, I mean, just, I think that's how you construct your portfolio. You know, right. maybe you off-way, offset that with a lower risk company or uh, some portion of your portfolio is just more traditional companies, right? With recurring revenue, something like that. Yeah, I think if you're going into biotech, you got to be ready for volatility or um, that might not be the right game to play. Uh, but thinking specifically on fate, uh, last question before we wrap things up, say you're you know, made CEO of the day, what is one thing you would change uh, for them to do? Yeah, one thing that I would like to see them do is, uh, you know, the way that they communicate their updates, because they have so many, such a big pipeline. It's very, very active. There's a lot of moving parts. And sometimes they just kind of cram all their updates into like a few different press releases. It can be very difficult to keep track of all the different assets and studies going on and the results, uh, especially over time. And, and it keeps getting bigger. So there's a huge uh, area for improvement in terms of like science communication or uh, communicating these results a little bit more clearly to investors. Um, so I would probably start there, just uh, distilling down the information so that we're not, you know, overcome with data all the time. Yeah, I mean, but hey, and that can help a little bit, you know, everyone stays away, then there's only a few people, you know, turning over those rocks, right? It's like, yeah. this is, uh, you know, yeah, sometimes I'll look at like an ugly investor relations page, I'll be like, I can't do it. So maybe that leads to inefficient pricing or something. Um, I think that's all the questions we have, right? Uh, yeah, that's all for me. Okay. Um, 
Thank you, Max, for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for joining us. We want to remind you we are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. Uh, so where can we oh. find? Yeah. So you're, you're with Seven Investing. We all know. Um, everyone, everyone that listens knows that you know we're uh, partners with them, but where can they find you and some of your stuff? Yeah, well, hey guys, thanks for having me as well. Um, you know, I think this is the first time I've been on here that's, as an individual, not as part of uh, the Seven Investing team. It's good to get rid of those guys every once in a while, you know, they're uh, yeah, my style. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you guys can see me at, uh, you know, I'm on Twitter, set, at Seven Max Chatsko on Twitter, and I have two X's in my name because my parents couldn't spell. Um, and if you just go to, uh, you know, the Seven Investing Twitter or uh, seveninvesting.com, I'll be on there. Awesome. Perfect, perfect. Okay, see you guys next time.